Well, this morning, if you would, turn to John's Gospel. John's Gospel, just a few chapters from where we were last week. We're going to be in John chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. And as you're getting there, what a better time than Sunday morning to talk about country music. Again, probably not where you thought I was going to go. That's right. I won't, I won't out uh, the person who doesn't like country music. That's fine if you don't. I had a funny idea a couple years ago with a friend of mine uh, to do a podcast on bad theology in country music. And it's a plenty. Uh, we could say that about every genre of music. There is bad theology in uh, hip-hop, R&B. There's bad theology in Christian music even. Uh, but my idea was to do... Uh, Specific songs about country music, being the Oklahoma boy that I am. And one specific song kind of drew me to wanting to do this, and it's a song uh, I'll out him because he's not watching our sermons. Uh, Luke Bryan, uh, one of my favorite-ish artists, uh, he has a song uh, that is called, I Believe Most People Are Good. By no nods, it doesn't sound like any of you have heard it, but take that title and like every country music song, play it about 36 times over with different guitar riffs and throw in a dog and a tractor, and that's the, meth- the message of the song. I believe most people are good, that most people want to do good to one another, that most people are looking to be moral and upright. Most people are trying to uh, look out for what's best for one another and for our world. And it is the biggest bunch of fooey. And it's anti-gospel and it's unbiblical. As we get into this second sermon on conversion, answering the question, why do we need conversion? We must divert from Luke Bryan, who believes, at least from his songs, that most people are good. But that's not what the Bible teaches about the human condition. It doesn't say, I believe most people are good. For what would that do? That would negate Christ's sacrifice. For Christ himself said, surely you wouldn't die for a good person. But no, he says he comes for the sick, those who need healing. And that is our condition shown to us from Genesis chapter 3 on through the entire conclusion of Scripture and human history. We are not morally good. We are not spiritually good. We are not even personally good. I could give you example after example of my own life that would provide the verification we are not good. And because we are not good, we need something good to happen to us that's not from us. We must be made new. So if you would stand with me in 
honor of the reading of God's Word as we read John chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. Why do we need conversion? Hear the words of the Lord from John chapter 3. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen. But you do not receive our testimony. May the Lord receive honor in the reading of his word. You may be seated. Why do we need to be converted? If we remember last week, we defined conversion as the mysterious activity of the triune God, whereby a sinner, hearing the gospel, being convicted of sin, calls out in repentance and is made new by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's the definition of conversion. We saw as we went through that conversion is a work of God, that it is through the power of gospel, the gospel, and that it is uh, because of Christ, or, or that it is because of our state and our repenting of our sin. So that it is a work of God, it is through the power of the gospel, and it's because of our state and response to the gospel. As I said at the conclusion of our time last week, God is not converting those who are not willing to be converted. What do we see? That if you believe in your heart, if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, let me quote that correctly. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. There is a necessity of responding to the gospel before conversion happens. So now as we go from there and look at why do we need to be converted, we're going to kind of be hanging our hat on that third point last week. Because of who we are. Why do we need to be converted? Because of who we are. Jesus very clearly says it's not just a, hey, you should be converted. Hey, you should be born again. You, it might be beneficial for you. He says, you 
must, unless you're born again, you will not see the kingdom of God. So beloved, if you have not confessed your sin with your mouth and believed in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you're not a converted Christian. But be reminded that the gospel of grace, that salvation comes by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, that the gospel of Jesus laying his life down on our behalf is available to you today. That you may have come into this room not converted, you can leave this room converted. How? Because the winds of the Holy Spirit move however it pleases. And know that we are praying as the Spirit of God works in uh, conjunction with the Word of God that those who might uh, be in need of conversion would trust in Christ and turn from their sin because it is a must. It is a requirement. We divert from Luke Bryan who says most people are good. Let's go to Scripture. If we were to stay in Genesis chapter 1, we might give that refrain as Luke Bryan does. People are good. But we know that our Bibles don't stop at Genesis chapter 1. And on the one hand, it might have been nice if it would have. But on the other hand, what was made good and fallen into sin is being made good right now through Jesus. That conversion in the biblical sense is making creation new. So it is a must. It is a necessity. And it is not just a mere band-aid. It's not just from sinfulness to less sinfulness it is from sinfulness and wicked idolatry to worshiping god for in genesis chapter 3 verse 1 the serpent was made more crafty than any other beast of the field that the lord had made he said to the woman did god actually say you shall not eat of any tree of the garden and the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. And the eyes of both were opened. What had been made good in the garden, perfect communion and fellowship with God himself, walking daily, regularly together, was broken by the woman and the man falling into sin. They did not trust God. They trusted the words of Satan more than the words of God. We see from there that just a few short chapters later, we see the first murder that took place not but a few, perhaps days and months after this cataclysmic insert of sin with Cain 
killing Abel. This was not to be so. The repercussions of sin were not to be so. The intention of creation was forever worshiping and communing with God. And in their desire to be like Him, they forsook His words and followed after another. Why do we need conversion? Because we are just like our first parents. Does it matter who's a part of what side of the family? When y'all get to the family reunion and there's the crazy uncle, you're still related. And our consequences just by our mere humanity. I think we found out who one of the crazy uncles is. <laughs> by our mere humanity we are affiliated we are in the lineage of adam and eve we are in need of some type of renewal some type of regeneration some type of remaking this isn't a hey you just need some maintenance we need new as one commentary said that you can revitalize a church you cannot regenerate your own self. You cannot convert your own self. You cannot make yourself new. We must be made new because the intention of worshiping God for all of eternity was broken in Genesis 3 when Adam and Eve took of the fruit. And we see throughout the rest of the Old Testament that our uh, ancestors, the Israelites, God's chosen people, continue to fall into sin of idolatry. Just one quick snapshot. The book of Judges reminds us of a history where God's people are given a judge to re redeem them, to bring them back to following God. And then what do they do? They go right back to their idols. And this happens seven plus times. God sends a redeemer, a judge, a, a justifier, one who will save them. Idolatry. They fall into the hands of the enemy. They need another judge. God sends that judge. And they can. that is our story. As the psalmist says in Psalm chapter 96, remember, we're still in Bible drill times. Psalm 96, verse, it's actually 106, verse 36. Psalm chapter 106, verse 36. They served their idols, which became a snare to them. Our hearts have gone after idols. Our hearts have not just gone after them, they've begun worshiping them. Time and time again, we see these strange terms used in the Old Testament foreshadowing what Jesus would do in the New Covenant. A heart of stone. What can a heart of stone do? There's a unique scene in C.S. Lewis, the adapted movies, The Chronicles of Narnia, where the, the white witch turns all of these creatures into stone. What happens when you're turned into 
stone. Well, in C.S. Lewis world, they cease living. They cease breathing. They become an inanimate ab- object. The same is true for us, that when we worship idols, they become a snare for us. We need that heart of stone turned to a heart of flesh. Then we see the terminology used of circumcision of the heart, a removing of the, the old and bad, and the reminder of, you need to do this. You may think, so, so we convert ourselves, we, we do that to our hearts? Our, no, because later in the Old Testament it says, you're not going to be able to do it. You need somebody who is going to be able to do that by his life giving on the cross. Through the power of the gospel, through the power of the Spirit, you can be made new. You can be given a new heart from worshiping idols to worshiping the triune God. So it is not us who does these things. It's as Peter says that God has done this for us. First Peter 1, chapter 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. We need conversion. We need new hearts. We need to stop worshiping idols and turn to worshiping the triune God, and that will not happen on our own merit, strength, what have you. There is no Bible reading plan that will help you be converted. There is no church attendance that will help you be converted. It is the work of God working through the gospel of Jesus Christ and your response that would cause you to be converted. Praise be to God. We often don't talk about idolatry like the Old Testament talks about idolatry. Because it's easier in the Old Testament to look at uh, uh, an an Asheroth pole and and be like, yeah, that's dumb. Who would do that? Who would worship an unknown God? Who Who would try and get in the right graces of these other gods to have more kids, to have more agricultural success, to have more financial success? Who would do that? We do. It doesn't take an Asherah pole. It doesn't take a little wood carving. We, as those who are born with hearts of stone, will turn anything good into an idol. Anything good will turn our families into idols, will turn our success into idols, will turn our cars into idols we'll turn our name and title into idols we will worship anything and everything before we worship god himself as revealed through scripture and that is why we need new hearts for jesus says in john chapter 3 speaking to nicodemus no one 
will see God or no one will see the kingdom of God unless he's born again. You must be born again. You must. Good people do not go to heaven. There are many good people that you may have known, that you know now, that have not trusted in Christ and been converted, that will, if they do not trust in Christ, spend eternity in hell. Well, Sean, that doesn't seem very nice. That doesn't seem very kind. I thought God was all about love and, and all of these things. Yes, He is. He desires a loving relationship with you where He has given you everything. He's given you His Son. But if you do not accept the Son of God and His work on the cross for your atonement of sin, do you know what that means? For something to be atoned for, there's a problem. Nobody goes to uh, mediation without there being a problem. Nobody needs atonement unless there is some, some semblance of inequity. There is a righteous and holy God who from eternity past has created with the word of his mouth all things that we see. He has made creation good. He gave them everything that they needed. He gave them dominion over everything to rule and to reign. And they took that for granted. They didn't just ignore it. They didn't just disobey uh, as if it was some passive decision. They actively disobeyed and distrusted the words of God. And we do that today. So this righteous and holy God who is creator and Lord of all things is also Lord of your life. And if you've not trusted in Him, He is just to condemn sin. For righteousness and holiness cannot merge with sin and wrath. But through the work of His perfect Son, by dying on the cross as the atonement, the payment of our sin. I'm reminded of it's a wonderful life. It's never too early to celebrate Christmas, remember? But the uncle has misplace this money and it falls into the hands of Mr. Potter and they go through all of these different things to, to, to get that account to be reconciled. We are broke. We are bankrupt. We are in need of atonement. And in Christ, our sin debt has been nailed. It's been pierced through the nails, through the hands of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. So if you do not trust in this Son of God, He is perfectly just to condemn sin. For Jesus says this very thing to Nicodemus, just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up that whoever believes in Him may have eternal life life guys the blueprints there 
And if you've trusted in Christ, you have followed the blueprint. The blueprint is Jesus. And you've been converted. You've been made new. That is true of you. There is a debt that must be paid. There is an account that is outstanding. And Jesus has come to atone, to make right, to remove that debt, to justify you by his blood, to make you new. Jesus' very words, unless one is born again. And it would be a shame if Nicodemus were to say, this is new. I don't get this. This is new. What does Jesus say? Verse 10, are you the teacher of Israel and yet you do not understand these things? A reminder of our sinfulness in light of a holy God is not a New Testament thing. It is an Old Testament thing. From Genesis 3, a reminder in verse 15 that He, God, would send the seed of the woman to crush the serpent's head, ultimately being Jesus, who would defeat sin and death if you call on his name. And then we see through the history of the Old Testament, God gives commands. He calls out leaders to lead. And what do we see? We see sinful leaders and sinful followers not doing either of those things. And we're not just talking about in Exodus. When we get into Genesis later in the fall, we're going to have so many family issues in Genesis. We're going to be like, how on earth are these the people that God chooses? Because he's starting this picture at the very beginning and saying, you all must be saved. You all must be born again. There's a sin and it must be accounted for. That's why the Old Testament sacrifices were instituted to show the people the magnitude by which their sin has effects on other things. Think about this. The sin and the sacrifices that were made were their own possession. That it had to be the people's goat or the people's grain offering or the people's this. And they would bring it before the priest for it to either be burnt as a grain offering or to be uh, slaughtered as a sin offering, it was to show the magnitude of sin and its separation between them and a holy God. The sacrifice for us is not through the blood of goats and rams. It's through the blood of Jesus. Through His perfect life, the sinless Son of God, took our place. Shedding His blood, reminded of Isaiah's prophecy, by His stripes we are healed. There is a problem. We are not good. We must 
be born again. We must be converted. And the opportunity is here. It's before us. It's in Christ. It's in Christ. Brian gives these different examples of how he can tell that people are good. I can't remember them off the top of my head. But there are things that anybody can do. Being, being kind. Holding the door open for somebody. Maybe not accelerating when the light turns green to let somebody in in front of you. Things that we can all do. Things that it doesn't take a converted heart to do. But what can we not do without a converted heart? We cannot worship the, whole, the, the God of the universe. Because later in John chapter 4, Jesus meets a woman at the well. And she's like, where do we need to worship? I'm, I'm, I'm hearing that we need, to do, we need to worship and we need to do it in a specific spot. Jesus says, not on that hill and not on this hill, for I desire our worshipers to be worshipers of spirit. That is what he desires. That is what he desires. That we would be worshipers of spirit and of truth. And you cannot do that without a heart that's been made new. I want to tell you, I, it's sometimes hard to worship the God of the universe even with a converted heart. And I think if there were an opportunity for those who've trusted in Christ to get on their faces before God and repent, your pastor would be the first one where we've not worshipped the God who has saved us as we ought. Maybe our first act of worship today needs to be repenting. Turning from our sin and walking more closely with Christ. But beloved, if you have trusted in Christ, what an amazing reminder that you have the Spirit of God in you, both to will and to do according to His good pleasure, so that He who started a good work in you will see it forward to completion. The Spirit of God convicts the child of God when he has sinned or she has sinned. That's a sign of a converted heart. That the Spirit of God speaks to us and says, brother, sister, you're in sin. To that person or that person or to me. We cannot worship God apart from the Spirit. For what is flesh is flesh, and what is spirit is spirit. So beloved, if you're here and you've not trusted in Christ, you are seeking perhaps to, to worship or to be perceived as worshiping the eyes of a holy and justice, a just God who does not sleep or slumber, sees all. And He sees when worship is done in the flesh. And my plea to you is be born again. Be born again. 
For the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. In Luke Bryan's worldview, salvation comes to all because we're not bad. We're good. Well, the theology of the Bible says that is hogwash. We must correct our worldview when it has strayed from the biblical gospel, when it has strayed from biblical and historical Christianity. We must say what it says about us when our hearts might want to say, I believe most people are good. I am good. (laughs) Read the Bible and say, no, you're not. But you can be made be. You can be made good. Because the one who was good descended from the throne on high to take on flesh, enduring shame, enduring scourgings, enduring beatings, enduring the cross where he was crucified, dead, murdered, mistried, all of those things our Savior endured. He laid down his life. And he took it up again for our Savior rose three days later, was seen by hundreds, was seen by the disciples and was ascended on high where he now rules and reigns. Beloved, you are not good. You are not good, but you can be made good through Jesus Christ and through this good news of the gospel. Let's pray.